Hey everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. Happy Veterans Day to everyone who has served. Thank you for your service. It's also my birthday, 43 this year. It keeps going and I feel great, so that's a good thing. And today on the wrap-up, we're going to be looking at a whole bunch of topics here that you can see on screen. So we've got a lot to do, so let's get to it. And before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel. We got a gold level contribution from Rajesh. I want to thank him for that. I also want to thank Fintan Maloney, who contributed via our donor box page, and Mary Chavez, who contributed via the YouTube membership program. I also wanted to thank a couple of super chatters from our live stream the other day. They are Fernie Lopez and Carol Chermazinski. So thank you both for your contributions there. And thank you to the three who contributed to the three different donation platforms we support. I also want to thank everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis and all of you who watch on a regular basis too, because all of those things equal channel growth. So let's take a look now at the week in review. On the Extras channel, we didn't do anything this week, partly because we did a bunch of unboxings here on the main channel as a live stream. And then I've taken that hour and a half long live stream and cut it down to 27 minutes. So you can see me unbox some of the stuff we'll be looking at a little bit later this week. Uh, We also did an overview of the Roku platform. I do that every year. They usually refresh their product line about once a year. So we look at the entire line and what choices to make when you're selecting a Roku box. Uh, Roku is great for casual streaming. Uh, It's not as great for the enthusiast side of things, but that's what the NVIDIA Shield is for, of course. Uh, So hopefully this will help people make a decision, maybe decide between an Amazon device or uh, the Roku's. And Roku's done a nice job, especially in directing people to things that are free. And we're going to have a little bit more on free content a little later this week. And we reviewed the Amazon Fire HD 10. This is the 2019 edition. They really bumped up the performance quite a bit on it. In fact, Amazon kind of understated the performance gains that the new tablet has. And it's still the same price, a really good value if you are looking for an inexpensive tablet. Uh, The industrial design is not going to blow you away. It's all plastic for the most part, but it works quite well for the money. And it's something to consider if you are on a budget. And on the topic, by the way, of Amazon and live streams, uh, we're going to be doing more live streaming on Amazon. I'm going to be simulcasting from here to Amazon as well. So you'll find it here on YouTube, uh, but also through the Amazon platform. And we're going to be doing these streams a couple of times a week. Uh, We're going to start on Friday the 15th. I believe that's this Friday uh, in the evening, probably around 7 or 8 p.m. or so. I'll put out an email to let you know exactly when we're going live. And what we're going to be doing is topical live streams. We're going to cover one type of product and discuss the product line, kind of like what we did with Roku. And I'm going to kind of look at some of the content that I've done on YouTube before and maybe refresh the topic. So Chromebooks... Uh, will be our first topic uh, for this topical live stream thing. And again, Friday night, I will be on here on YouTube, but it's also going to go to my Amazon Live page at lon.tv slash Amazon Live. And they have a cool thing that runs underneath my video uh, as I'm doing it. So I can select the little carousel there to directly link to the things that I'm talking about. And there's a whole archive of some of the other live streams that we've done uh, through this Amazon platform. So it's going to be kind of a fun thing to uh, try some stuff out on another platform. I've been uploading video to Amazon for years now, so we'll be continuing with that as well. And it's a very good fit, I think, for the kind of content that I do and for the viewers who watch me, because a lot of people who watch this channel are just looking for some information on a product and don't necessarily have an interest in everything that I do. 
Uh, so it's a very good fit, I think. I'm not going to leave YouTube by any stretch. It's doing quite well. Uh, but this is another thing we're going to be doing with both my live stream content and recorded content. So definitely check it out. I don't believe there was a way to subscribe to this just yet. Uh, but check it out when we do go live. And again, it'll be right here on YouTube in addition to the Amazon platform. Now, we've got a bunch of news items to talk about this week. The first one is a new ad position I noticed on YouTube. Uh, so as many of you know, I have a YouTube premium account, so I don't usually see ads on my apps or on my TVs or on my web browser. Uh, but the other day, I was watching some Hoovies Garage on my uh, smartphone, and I love this channel, by the way. It's about cars. And I noticed that there was an ad on there, and then it accompanied an on-air read that Hoovy was doing uh, in the course of his video. So it looks like YouTube is getting a little more aggressive in trying to do some influencer marketing because they've been missing out on a lot of revenue there. Because if an agency comes to me and says, hey, Lon, would you like to do an ad for us? Uh, YouTube doesn't get any cut of that. Uh, but it looks like this might be something YouTube is sanctioning. They haven't approached me about this yet. Uh, but it looks like another layer of advertising. But perhaps if this becomes more successful, maybe you'll see less pre-roll ads running if you are not a premium subscriber. So let me know if you've seen this before and what other companies you've seen uh, advertising in this way, but this looked like something new that YouTube is doing. Uh, another bit of news is that Disney Plus will indeed come to Amazon Fire TV devices when it launches tomorrow, November 12th. I am ready to go. I'm going to go watch The Mandalorian upstairs uh, maybe it'll be out at midnight. That'd be great. Uh, so that might be a fun birthday present for me. And I was concerned that Amazon devices wouldn't get it because they were not part of the initial announcement. But it looks like they are indeed uh, going to have the app available tomorrow when things launch. And I would love to be the fly on the wall when they have these discussions because apparently app placement on these TV platforms must be a big business. Remember, YouTube and Amazon were at odds for quite a while uh, and it wasn't until they reached some deal which involved Google products on Amazon shopping platform and a whole bunch of other things that uh, this finally opened up and YouTube became an app on the Amazon Fire TV. So keep your eye out for Disney Plus when it launches tomorrow and you'll have it on your Fire TV. And Google is buying up Fitbit for $2.1 billion. Seems like a lot of money, but I think it might not be a bad idea for Google given how many people own Fitbits and how many more people are buying Fitbits versus uh, a Google Android Wear watch. The battery life on the Fitbits are pretty good. Uh, there's some affordable ones out there that are a lot less expensive than a Samsung or Apple watch might cost. And if you take a look at the uh, current sales data from Strategy Analytics here, you can see what the market is looking like here from the second quarter of 2019. Uh, Apple is seeing growth here in this market. They shipped 5.7 million Apple watches just in the second quarter. I would imagine as we get into the fourth quarter here that those numbers will continue to go up. Samsung has seen tremendous growth. And even though Samsung makes Android smartphones, their watches are not running Android Wear. Uh, so they're moving up. Fitbit's been kind of stagnant, but at least they're in the top three. And I think that's where... Google is looking to latch onto here. They saw a dip in the market share uh, this year over last, but if they can uh, add a little pizzazz to these things, maybe tighten up the integration with Android and maybe offer a few more features that people are finding on Apple Watches, for example, uh, this might be enough to get Google back in play in the wearables market. Again, the wearables are nowhere near where the uh, smartphones are, but it's still an area that I think Google wants to be in. So we'll have to keep an eye on this and see what develops. Let me know what you think down in the comment section below.
And it looks like Apple has found themselves in a bit of a controversy over their new credit card. It looks as though for married couples who have combined their income and file everything jointly, the husband is receiving more credit than the wife receives. Uh, DHH, I believe, was one of the first notable people to tweet this out. He was offered 20 times the credit that his wife was offered, uh, yet they file their taxes jointly and live in a community property state and have been married for a long time. Uh, The same is happening here with Steve Wozniak. He was offered 10 times the credit that his wife was being offered for the same credit card, again, even though they have combined assets and are filing jointly on their taxes. And this is another example of why we can't surrender human judgment to artificial intelligence. I think people put way too much faith in these algorithms. And this is another example of things going awry when you surrender judgment to the algorithm. Now, another thing that can be happening here is that apparently Apple doesn't allow you to add a spouse to your credit card account. Uh, So each member of the household has to apply separately and go through the same credit check. And that's where this is starting to pop up. And I wonder if this might not happen with other credit cards if you were doing something similar. Uh, So, for example, when I got my credit card, I just added my wife to it. They don't check her credit. She just becomes a part of my account. And I wonder if that had something to do with what's happening here. But either way, this is another example of how sometimes these AI algorithms begin acting in a discriminatory way. And I get very nervous when we start handing over human judgment to things that are very much in development here. So I'm really eager uh, to see what the solution to this problem is and what the cause of it was. It looks like state authorities in New York are investigating, and I wouldn't be surprised if the federal government gets involved with this as well, uh, because this is the kind of thing that is totally illegal uh, here in the United States and will most certainly uh, raise the ire of regulators. So let's keep an eye on this one and see what happens. Let me know what you think about this one, too, down below in the comment stream. And the FTC has just updated their guidelines for social media influencers, and they finally have made something really simple and digestible. Before, these things were very long and I think hard for a lot of people to follow. Uh, They have now made things, I think, a lot easier to consume and uh, will hopefully help more influencers follow the law. Uh, So let's take a look at what they've put together. You can find the guide here at ftc.gov slash influencers. Uh, So this is it for the guide. It's not very long. They tell you when to disclose, which means anytime you have a financial, employment, personal, or family relationship with a brand and you're covering that brand on your channel or your Instagram page or whatever, you've got to disclose the relationship. Pretty simple stuff. They give you a lot of guidelines for uh, making those disclosures clear to viewers. Uh, And they also give you some ideas as to how to best make those disclosures depending on the platform. Uh, So, for example, if it's a picture on a platform like Snapchat, you should be superimposing the disclosure over the picture to make sure that viewers have enough time and notice to see it. And this is important because even though that seems like a lot of work to do, Uh, You or the brand that you're working with can end up in a lot of hot water if you don't do it. So there's a real good reason maybe to put that time in. Uh, When I first started doing my disclosures on the channel, a lot of folks said, why can't you just put it in the description rather than taking 20 seconds in the video to do it? Well, here's why. Uh, When making a video, the disclosure should be in the video and not just in the description. Viewers are more likely to notice disclosures made in both audio and video form. Uh, Some viewers may watch without sound and others may not notice superimposed words. Uh, Additionally, 
what happens with YouTube is that if you're on a TV, you're not seeing the description at all, which is why it's important to make these disclosures very clear at the beginning of the video so viewers know about it. Uh, this was interesting for live streamers. If you're doing a live stream, you need to repeat the disclosure periodically so viewers who come in later uh, can get the disclosure just like those who were in earlier. So if you're doing live streaming with a brand, uh, you'll probably want to bring that up every once in a while. And again, follow the rules for video, which means that you need to do uh, both a video and uh, video visual uh, and an audio one as well. I may need to start putting some words up on screen to mirror what I am saying, just in case people are watching without sound. So I need to keep that in mind for future disclaimers. Uh, they also suggest that you use simple and clear language because in the past when we've seen influencers acting in ways that they should not, they get cute with it. Hey, I'm working with this brand or so-and-so asked me to do this for them uh, without actually saying, hey, they paid me to do it, which is what the case was in most of those instances. See my rant on the Dyson vacuum cleaner debacle from last year uh, to get a better idea as to that. Uh, so they suggest you make very simple explanations like, hey, thanks, Acme, for the free product, uh, or use terms like advertisement, ad, and sponsored so that people are aware. All of this stuff is about making sure the audience very clearly understands the relationship. If you're being paid to do something, you need to say you were paid uh, through one of these words that viewers would typically associate with somebody being paid. Uh, they said, don't assume that the platform's disclosure tools are good enough either. Uh, but consider using it in addition to your own good disclosure. So that's important stuff to follow. What else to know? Uh, you can't talk about an experience with a product that you haven't tried. And I think that's important also because you can speculate and say that it's speculation, but you can't lie to your audience and say that I tried this product and it's crap when you haven't actually tested it at all. Uh, that leaves you open to uh, potentially a libel lawsuit, perhaps, so you need to be aware of that beyond whatever FTC issues are there. Uh, if you're paid to talk about a product and thought it was terrible, you can't say that it's awesome. Uh, that's important. I've turned away a lot of sponsorships because I didn't think their product was all that great, so that's an important thing to keep in mind as well. And this is an important one about especially products that relate to health and like those dietary supplements and all that CBD garbage you keep hearing on TV. You can't make up claims about a product that would require proof that the advertiser doesn't have, uh, such as scientific proof that a product can treat a health condition. And that could leave you liable not only for FTC issues, but also perhaps civilly if somebody was harmed by a product that you said would cure them of something and it didn't or perhaps created an even worse health effect. Uh, this is the kind of stuff you need to be aware of. You know, really, uh, online, even as an influencer with a small following on YouTube, uh, you have as much responsibility as a broadcaster that's reaching millions of people, and you have to follow the law, and you have to be truthful with people, and you can't just make up stuff even if the brand is paying you to do that. So good things here from the FTC. Uh, my pick of the week this week is a video that they did uh, to help you digest this a little bit better. It's not all that long. In fact, it's only about a minute long, but I think it's really helpful to watch the video and then go back and look at these new materials that they've put together. This stuff isn't difficult, but I think it's important for people to follow so that uh, this industry doesn't get considered to be just one big cesspool of fraud. This is about doing things right to ensure that this industry can grow 
And I think people need to have faith and trust in the influencers that they're watching. And you gain a lot by being truthful with people and you lose nothing by disclosing relationships that you have. I have seen this in my own experience here that I think people understand that you've got to get sponsors every once in a while. And as long as you disclose it up front, the viewer can make the judgment as to whether or not what they're about to hear is something that is accurate or not. And it's up to viewers to make those decisions and they can't make those decisions if they don't have the information. So be upfront, disclose, 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 and check out the new FTC materials, which I think will help you immensely. And by the way, this is a United States thing. But if you're making videos overseas and those videos are coming into the United States, they're going to be under the same type of regulations, especially if the brands you're working with are uh, selling things in the U.S. You may be not liable as a citizen of another country, but that company could be based on what you are doing on their behalf. So there's a lot of uh, need here to study this stuff and follow the law. And in many cases, your own country's laws will be very similar to what the FTC imposes on me here in the U.S. Let me know what you think down in the comments below. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers, and I got a couple of good ones this week. Uh, Travis Rhodes wrote in with a link to some videos that Lewis Rossman has on his channel where he went to testify to the Massachusetts legislature on the right to repair. And he's talking about how great it was that Lewis is actually uh, putting some shoe leather into his opinions where he's going to, to the governments that are considering right to repair legislation and asking them to do something about it. And it was great to see him testify because I don't think enough people do this kind of thing. Now, it's going to vary based on which states that you're in. But here in Connecticut, uh, for every law that gets passed, there is a public hearing where the public and other interested parties can come in and talk about uh, the impact of a potential law on themselves or on their business or on some other issue that they care about. Uh, I do this all the time, by the way, for education issues. As you know, all know, I'm on my board of education locally, and I testify on matters that might impact my local board of education. And one of the things that Lewis was complaining about in one of his most recent videos was how the legislators there had no questions for him. And that's not unusual, because a lot of times, especially when I go to these education hearings, uh, they end up going for uh, seven, eight, sometimes 10 hours or more. And the legislators often want to get through all the people that have signed up and don't want to maybe drag things out by having a lot of back and forth with the people coming to testify. But when you do go to testify, it's more than just showing up to uh, the committee and talking to the people in the public forum. Uh, there's also opportunities to run into people in the hallways. This is why they call it lobbying, uh, because around these hearings are people that have an important part of the decision-making process. A lot of times the uh, staff that these legislators uh, have to help them guide the legislation through are there, and they can be very influential in the process. So it's important when you go to testify for something that's important to you, uh, take every opportunity to network and run into people and talk to folks, because if you find somebody there that uh, might have some ability to help your issue, having a one-on-one -on -one conversation in the hallway can be just as effective, if not more, than uh, testifying in the formal public hearing process. Now, in many cases, two sides of an issue will often have a set of lobbyists on both sides, and those lobbyists can sometimes help you find the right people to talk to. And I found, in my experience, the most important thing for a lot of these legislators is to see constituents, people that either can vote for them or people that are within the state in which uh, these votes happen, uh, coming in and raising their 
concerns with the legislators because they do take the uh, the positions of their constituents very seriously. In the case of this public hearing, uh, Lewis was not from Massachusetts where this hearing was being held, uh, nor were a lot of the other people that were testifying to this committee. I think there was one or two people that were, uh, but again, you've got to be uh, aware of the fact that legislators will put a much uh, heavier emphasis on people from their state versus people coming in from out of state. So just some tips for things. And one other thing to note, uh, in Connecticut at least, and I think other states may have a similar thing here, is that after you testify, uh, they often issue a summary for the legislators to take a look at. Because if the law gets all the way through to the finish line and becomes something that they're actually going to vote on, Uh, They need to know sometimes what's in this bill and what people think about it because not every legislator is on every committee and therefore they can't hear every bill that they're voting on to really give it a lot of thought and and study. So um, most of the time in many states, something like what you see here, this is called the Joint Favorable Report, where the committee staff will put together a summary of a particular bill. Uh, This was one that I testified on back in 2015. It talks about why the bill is being put together, uh, what some changes were made throughout the legislative process. They have, in this case here, a few different uh, members of different agencies talking about the bill. And then my testimony, or a summary of it, uh, was included with that uh, summation that was sent out to the legislature. So all of these things are really important. And again, just because nobody asks you a question doesn't mean that that uh, thing that you said or testified on isn't going to be something that becomes part of the record later. So you're always better off going and testifying than not showing up at all. Uh, many legislatures allow you to submit testimony in written form. Uh, you can do that, and it's certainly uh, something you should do, but it's always more effective to be there in person. And again, there's a lot of opportunities for uh, just running into people where you might be able to swing some uh, portion of a, of a piece of a bill your way uh, just by having conversations with folks. So hopefully this was helpful to you. I think people should know that you might have actually a bigger impact in the lawmaking process than you might realize, but you will have to devote some time to do it. But I think it is important to get your voice heard. And if you do go, uh, make good use of the time while you're waiting to speak, because there will be people around that you can have a sidebar conversation with that might be very interested in your issue and learning more about it. So things don't just happen in public hearings. They happen with a lot of one-on-one communication. So make good use of that time if you run up to your local state house to make your case. Uh, The next question here comes in from Comrade McHale about the Brave browser and bat crypto. Am I getting any income from it? Can I spend it in any reasonable way? Uh, It's actually been doing okay. I'm not making a ton of money from the uh, bat thing or the Brave thing. Uh, And for those of you that are not familiar with Brave, it is a really interesting browser concept. I did a whole video on it a few months ago, which you can check out uh, down below in the master playlist. And what they've done is they've taken the Chrome browser Uh, the open source project for Chrome called Chromium, and they've wrapped their own ad blocker around it along with a new way of advertising to people. So the process that Brave is looking at is instead of you being micro-targeted with advertising, uh, the browser will look at what you are interested in and then will uh, allow certain ads to come into you from the Brave library of advertising. Uh, And why this is different is that the browser will never communicate uh, your preferences to anyone. So the browser has all this information but keeps it encrypted. 
and then it looks at the available advertising that's out there and decides which ads you should see. And that, of course, is very different than how things work right now, where everybody knows everything about you and the ads are targeted to you at the server side. Uh, this is very much a browser-based private targeting, uh, which I think is a better way to go about it. And the other thing that Brave is doing is that they're doing a revenue share uh, with the users of their browser. So you get a cut of every ad that you look at. Now, right now, the ads appear as system notifications, which is far from ideal, but you get a little bit of the brave bet uh, cryptocurrency every time you see one of those ads. And then you have the option to take that cryptocurrency you've earned and give it to creators based on how much attention you are giving to their particular websites. And for me right now, surprisingly, it's been about $15 to $20 a month that I've been getting in from people using the Brave browser. Far more than I anticipated, uh, but certainly not enough uh, to uh, get rid of YouTube, for example. It's far less than what I get from YouTube every month. But it's actually been pretty good, uh, all things considered. I'm actually doing pretty well with Brave also because I had an affiliate link on my initial video on the browser. And then every time somebody installs the browser and uses it for a period of time, I, I get a little commission from that as well. So those things have been pretty good. Now, if you are a creator, and I know some of you out there have some decent followings, uh, what you need to do is make sure you get yourself registered with the Brave Creators page. And when I did that, there was actually, I think, about 50 or 60 bucks waiting for me in Brave currency from people that had uh, been sending me this currency, but I wasn't yet registered, so they didn't know where to send the money to. Uh, so it'll hold your, your money kind of in escrow for a period of time before it uh, releases it back to the people that donated to you. Uh, so you should definitely just log in and check it out because you've got nothing to lose by it. And what I did is I registered all my YouTube channels and my Twitter accounts. Now, right now, the Brave Currency, as of this morning, I think is like 23 cents uh, per bet as far as U.S. dollars are concerned. And what Brave has done is they've linked up with a crypto wallet company called Uphold. So once a month, they transfer BAT over to this Uphold account that I have. And then I immediately withdraw it, just given that these cryptocurrencies fluctuate wildly. And my luck, usually they fluctuate down. So I just take the money out as soon as it comes in every month. And you can uh, check, by the way, if one of your favorite creators is verified uh, in the Brave browser, you'll see a little check mark next to this triangle icon. If there's a, a, a check mark there, they can receive back currency. You can give them a tip, uh, or you can have the automated attention thing uh, assign out the money every month. And it will do that even for people that are not Brave certified. But remember, if they don't pick up the money after, I think, 90 days or something, it rolls back to your uh, Brave cryptocurrency wallet. Again, watch the video on this so you can get more information as to how it works. Uh, but it's actually been better than I expected, and I really like the model they have here because it, it, you can't get rid of advertising. It's just not possible because people don't want to pay for things, at least content. Uh, so this is a, a way of solving the privacy issue by keeping everything in the browser and still allowing advertising with revenue share. Uh, if you're curious as to how the basic attention token is doing, uh, well, it, it had a pretty uh, big high right around the time that I started using it. Uh, so it was about double where it is right now. So it's like any other cryptocurrency. It's, it's probably 
not going to make you a millionaire. Uh, so my advice is just cash out the second you get the funds because you don't know where it's going to end up. And of course, Brave has no control over the value of their cryptocurrency. But it's been doing okay. I'm still using Brave as my everyday browser on my laptop and my PC upstairs. A few other computers I still have Chrome on. My biggest complaint with Brave at the moment is that you can't synchronize the attention database between browsers. So uh, what I do on my laptop is one thing, and then what I do on my computer is another. It doesn't aggregate everything together just yet. You can synchronize the wallet, uh, but what you do is you have to back it up on one computer and restore it on another one. It's not an ideal synchronization, but it does seem to work. Uh, So at least I have the wallet synchronized between devices, but not the browsing activity. So it needs some work, uh, but I like where they're going with it, and I think it's worth uh, giving a shot to if you want the Chrome experience with the privacy. And this last question comes in from Joshua about the new TriCaster Mini. Now, many of you know I've been using a TriCaster uh, to do everything you see here on the channel since 2014, and I've been getting a little nervous about it given that it is now five years old or will be five years old very shortly. I'm still on my original hard drives. Everything seems to work just fine, but it's limited to 1080p at 30 frames per second. Uh, Now, last week, uh, New Tech announced a brand new TriCaster Mini, which from the front looks pretty close to the original one that I have, uh, but the back of it is very, very different. Now, this is kind of a production geek thing, uh, but it's uh, something worth talking about because this device really makes this channel possible. It's the key to my efficiency. Uh, So what the TriCaster is is a video switching device that allows for real-time compositing. So this screen that you see right here is not being done in post-production. It's being done on the TriCaster itself. And if my graphical abilities were better than what they are, this would look nicer. Uh, But you get the idea. It's a pretty uh, nice production system. Uh, You can do a lot of this now on a powerful PC. But there's something about the fact that this is an appliance that turns on and does nothing but this. And I really liked having that because my job now is not to build PCs and keep them working, it's to make videos, and the TriCaster works every time I turn it on. Uh, So that's why I've largely went with this much more expensive option for producing my videos. And by the way, when I purchased this back in 2014, uh, there really wasn't something on the PC side that would work very reliably. That's starting to change, but I still think the TriCaster is a good choice for, again, people that are in the business of making videos. And what's cool about this new device is that you'll notice there are no HDMI or SDI inputs on it. It is completely IP using the NDI standard. Uh, These four plugs here are PoE Ethernet jacks. And what you can do is plug in uh, these NDI converter boxes directly because they're powered over Ethernet. I believe the base model of the new Mini uh, comes with two of those boxes. And I've got a bunch of them here already. And you can then just plug them in directly to the TriCaster, but you also have two gigabit Ethernet adapters on the device itself, so you can bring in stuff over the network as well. I did a full video on NDI and what it's all about in the comments or the video description thing down below. Uh, But the bottom line on NDI is that you can take video and put it out over your network with very low latency. So I can bring in video from my phone over Wi-Fi. I can bring in video from other parts of the house that I can have come in either Wi-Fi or at a higher bandwidth through my Mocha adapters, for example. It's a very flexible video format that really gives you the entire campus to work with insofar as transmitting video over long distances. And this new one is built completely around that concept. And I think it's going to be uh, something I might uh, upgrade to. The big kicker with this one is that it will uh, handle video at 4K up to 60 frames per second. 
Uh, so what that means in the short term, provided these cameras can do it, uh, is allow me to upgrade to a 4K30 uh, production without having to buy anything new beyond the TriCaster. So we may try that. We'll see what happens. I'm going to keep an eye on this when it comes out. Uh, the big factor for me is what I can get for a trade-in on the existing TriCaster. This new thing is not cheap. It's about $8,000. But uh, this is, again, key to the efficiency. And I can tell you I made back the money on the first one very quickly just given the production uh, workflow that it allowed me to do while I still had a full-time job, for example. So this is a good device, uh, definitely worth looking at if you are a production professional, and it's really neat to see a fully IP-based uh, production device now on the market that is capable of doing 4K60 stuff that is expensive, but not as expensive as some of the other ones that they put together. So stay tuned. We're going to maybe get one of these things in soon, and we'll put it through its paces. So this week on the channel, I am starting the week ahead of the game, which is always good. I've already shot this video on AVOD, or Advertiser Video On Demand. I've been talking about it for a while. I finally did it. Uh, so you'll be seeing that one up very shortly. There's actually some really good stuff now you can get without any monthly fee at all. You can pick up a $30 box and you are done. And we'll explore what some of those options are, again, right here on the main channel. Uh, we also shot a review of the ThinkPad uh, Carbon X1, or X1 Carbon, the new Gen 7 version. Uh, we've actually had this in-house for a little bit, but there was something that was a little wacky with it initially that I wanted to see if it would get rectified. Uh, we have done all of that testing, so you will soon see the review, so be on the lookout for that. I also hope to get to the Roku soundbar this week. Uh, this is a soundbar, obviously, uh, but it also has a Roku inside of it, and we'll be looking at it along with its a subwoofer that will work wirelessly with it. And hopefully I'll get to a few of the other things that we unboxed in that unboxing video as well. So stay tuned for all of that. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and see uh, my donor box page along with Patreon information. We also, of course, support the YouTube membership program as well. Uh, so you can do that right within the YouTube channel here and get a pretty cool little badge to go with your name. And it will change color the longer you stay on board. I guess that shows up whenever you comment or chat on stuff. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission, but we get a larger one if you sign up for a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else. It makes a great holiday gift. We have other channels, including the Extras channel for unboxing and supplementary content, we have the podcast, which is an audio version of this show. We have the Snippets channel, where we upload search-friendly versions of uh, snippets from this particular show for uh, better SEO. And we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams, where you can watch just about every live stream that I have done uh, for hours on end. So have at it if you want to do that. And if you want to be notified every time we go live or do anything on this channel, you can click on the notification bell to be given notifications through email and push alerts. And we also have my very infrequent email list, but we might do one to announce Friday's live stream. Uh, you can find that at lon.tv email. We have the Facebook page at lon.tv Facebook, where we do a lot of the extras channel uploads. The Facebook group is hopping these days. Lots of great questions on there. Almost 800 members. You can sign up at lon.tv Facebook group to interact with me and other viewers. And then we have the store at lon.tv store where I sell previously reviewed items. And you can find a few things up there now. And if you want to get notified when other things get added, 
you can sign up for my store alert email at lon.tv slash store alert. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up. Please keep those questions and comments coming. I greatly appreciate it. And now I'm going to take my kids out for dinner for my birthday. It's going to be lots of fun. Until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the lon.tv supporters, including gold level supporters, the four guys with quarters podcast, Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.